You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. All right. I'm going to invite Kayla Delgado to come forward. Um, I'm turning your Bible to Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, and I've asked Kayla to read. Kayla, as many of you know, has been serving as our director of uh, worship ministry. Ironically, when she took the role, often Kayla was up front singing, and then COVID hit, and she's been almost exclusively behind the scenes making sure that all of you could worship on your couch or here or watching a, a, a videotape delay of Christmas Eve, whatever. Kayla has just been super faithful, super creative. Could you give her a hand and say thank you? All right. I will be reading from Philippians. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Thank you, Kayla. appreciate it. Yeah. Well, uh, I just, I said in our shots of praise that today, Alita and I celebrate 29 years of marriage today. And um, it is is—it uh, is an absolute grace to be able to be married to my best friend, an incredible human being. And uh, last week, Alita and I were able to actually get away to wine and microbrew country in Paso Robles, California, to uh, celebrate together, kind of the week ahead. We kind of are extra blessed because obviously last week was uh, Valentine's weekend and then followed by, for us, our anniversary. So it's February is the month of love, the love month in the Lewis home. And we had actually planned this trip two years ago. But we kept hearing this ominous, these ominous warnings about this. I'd never heard the word novel coronavirus, but we kept hearing about this novel coronavirus and that it was kind of getting more serious and more serious. And so two years ago, we went, well, let's kind of, I don't know what's going to happen. We had kind of canceled it. And so it was really nice to finally take a trip and experience uh, a small victory, if you will, over two years of so many losses. And, and also just kind of like experience just sort of these unforced and unhurried rhythms of just being together. 
And by the way, because I, I was your pastor, just step aside and just say something like that to all of you married people. Please, you have to do this. You have to fight as hard as you have to fight to set a stake in your calendar and get away and remember you enjoy one another. So we did that. We did that. And so we got away, but here's where I'm going with it. I also got to see more of the reality of my human nature on this trip. I walked across the street and from our hotel, and I went into the local Starbucks on a bright Saturday morning in Paso Robles last weekend just to get some coffee for us. And I saw, I saw the signs posted outside of the window that said, you know, masks were required inside of the cafe. And so, you know, I slipped my mask on and I braced to stand in a long Saturday morning Starbucks line for my wife and get my coffee. And as I waited in my line, my, my mind wandered, which for me is always dangerous. And my mind wandered and I heard a young lady at the counter give her order and the order was, I'll have a, let me see if I can read this right. I'll have a double chocolate coffee crunch frappuccino with extra cream. Let me repeat that. I will have a double chocolate coffee crunch frappuccino with extra cream. And here's where my mind wandered. No. No. That is not coffee. Get out of the line. There's a McDonald's across the street. Walk your sorry butt across the street and get your stupid chocolate milkshake so that the people here in line can get their fix and get their coffee. Get out of line. I didn't shout that. I thought that. It got worse. I saw half of the crowd in this Starbucks line not paying any attention to the signs posted outside about wearing masks. So half of the people in the crowd were not wearing masks, and I thought to myself, great, you all have Omicron. You absolutely all have Omicron, and you're going to breathe all of your personal freedom rights all over me, and I'm going to have Omicron in my hotel for the next 10 days. Thank you very little. I didn't shout that. I thought that. It got worse. I saw parents standing in line who really should have turned around and asked me, could you teach me how to parent my child? <laughs> and, and I would have been more than happy to go, yes, let's take you out behind the barn and I will teach you how to parent your child. It was bad. And I was, I was there at that moment just going, oh my gosh, Lewis, what is wrong with you? And I, and I got my coffee and I walked back over to Alita with my two hot coffees and I confessed all of my nasty thoughts that I had about people while standing in line at Starbucks. And I, I tell you the story because I, I'm not happy to admit how easy it was for me standing in a stupid Starbucks line to be suspicious of people to dread the impact of getting too close to people and to want to put as much distance as I could between myself and people. And I was just standing in a Starbucks line. You don't want to trip through my thoughts on most days. <laughs> I share my story with you because I want to ask you something about yourself. Have you seen how easy it is, easy, for that kind of thing to happen in your heart? Like, that easy. We don't have to do anything more than simply act natural. And it's almost scary, at least in my case, how quickly and easily we can suspect people around us. 
wondering, why do, they, why do they dress like that? Why do they act like that? Why do they vote like that? Why do they talk like that? And from that suspicion, to then to dread the fallout of getting too close, assuming that our suspicions of people are correct, I'm good at that, and then also assume we're right to be careful about getting too close. And then to make the decision to put as much distance as we can between ourselves and other people. It's just really easy. It's just really easy to unfriend virtually or in reality or both. It's just easy. And I think as we get into what Paul's going to say in this passage today, I think we can safely say two very contradictory things that are both equally true about all of us. And here's what they are. On the one hand, we desire community. Oh, it comes from deep within us. We want to greatly love others and to be greatly loved by people. And at the exact same time, this contradictory thing is true of us. We're good at canceling people. Both. We are good at easily arriving at suspicion and then dread and then wanting to kind of isolate ourselves from people. So we're continuing this study in the book of Philippians, Stand Firm. And this is the issue we're going to take a look at this morning. So let's get into God's beautiful word. In chapter 4, what Kayla just read for us, Paul begins to sort of close this very personal letter to the church of Philippi. I, I have felt like, I, I know this is my imagination running wild, but to me it's felt like as I've studied, it's like, it feels like I'm reading it to Faith Community Church as I've been studying it. It's 2,000 years old. It's an ancient letter, but it feels as fresh as the day Paul wrote it. And he's beginning to kind of finish this intimate letter to the church. And out of that deep love, he calls out again in the passage. He says, please stand firm. And remember, we've been talking about this. What did Paul mean by stand firm? It doesn't mean this fear-based, dread-based, let's cling on to traditions in the past and let's hold on for dear life. That's not what he means by stand firm. It's about pressing forward and pressing through with confidence in Jesus to live lives in the assurance of the abundant life that Jesus Christ has given us. And chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all loaded with that. And to live lives that actually practice what the abundant life of Jesus can actually look like in a broken world. So as Paul is finishing up, there are two really practical places. Paul says, here's where I want you to stand firm. And that's what we're going to take a look at. The first one is he says, I want you to stand firm in your interpersonal health. I'm going to use some big words today because I believe you're that smart. Interpersonal health. That is talking about relationships with one another. Here's what he says. And good job, Kayla. You said the, you pronounced the words perfectly. He says, I plead with you, Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, Help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Do you read that? There's a fight going on in this church. Now, here's what we know about who Euodia and Syntyche are and what we know about their quarrel. Because we don't know a ton, but here's what we do know. We know that based on Paul's comments... 
that day where he says, they contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. That There are really good arguments by scholarship I've read to say these are women who were likely church leaders. Underline that. Church leaders having a fight. Second, we don't know exactly what their quarrel was all about. We, we don't know. You read through the rest of the New Testament, there aren't other hints from other letters or anything like that. But here's what we do know. We do know it wasn't some misogynistically imagined quarrel between two women who had a, a fight over whose potato salad was more popular at the church potluck. That's not what this was. I will, but I'm, it's important for me to make this point because I have grown up in the church and I have heard sermons on this that hinted at that. That is not what's going on. It wasn't that. And, and, and I will say this, though. Even if it was something like that, which it wasn't, let me make that point. But even if it was, from our own experience, we now know that the silliest things, masks, can create the most surprising and deep, disturbing divisions among the people of God. We know from our own experience so what we know is this quarrel had the capacity to destroy the mission of the church in Philippi. So Paul reminds the women of something he's already said to the whole church. If you look back at Philippians 2 verse 2, he reminds them of what he's already said, which is, I want you to be like-minded. Now, if you can remember back, you probably won't be able to, but if you remember back when I preached on it, in the Greek, the words like-minded literally means, I want you to be same-souled. Same-souled. And when I preached on Philippians 2.2, I described the concept of this. It's like Paul saying, look, you have experienced a shocking level of mercy from God. You have received a shocking level of love and grace from Jesus Christ. And so, because of that, share with one another the same quality of love that Jesus has shared with you. And do it by this. Here's how Jesus did. Set aside all your leverage. Stop going into relationships, holding on to the levers of your conceit and your ambition and your personal interests. Lay that aside. Be same soul. And then, but Paul doesn't just talk to the women and say, you two work it out. Did you notice what else he says in the passage? He speaks to the church community. You need to help them. He enlists people. He calls on somebody he calls my true companion. Scholars don't exactly know who that is. The best theory is maybe it was Luke, the writer of the book of Luke and the book of Acts. We don't know. But he enlists the church to help the women reconcile. To not pick sides. Church, hear me. Not pick sides, but create a safe space where both women could feel together safe with the other companions from the church. They felt safe where they could talk through, this is what hurt me. When you said this, this is what happened within my heart. And to let them talk about their hurts and let them talk about their disagreements and arrive at reconciliation. Paul's talking about that good relationships require individuals and the community surrounding them to stand firm in the work of being healthy in our relationships. So that's the first one. Paul says, I want, I want you to stand firm in your interpersonal health. But the second thing Paul talks about is standing firm in their intrapersonal health. And again, this is like, oh, you're being, using big words, Andy. Intra is talking about what's going on inside your mental and emotional health. And we talked a lot about mental and emotional health in this church in the last six months. 
Paul addresses this. First of all, Paul says, let me tell you about emotional health. If you want to underline a part of scripture that helps you understand, how, how, do I, how do I address emotional health and memorize it? Underline this passage. Here's what he says. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, Old Testament, shalom of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you now, if you haven't underlined that in your Bible, do it now and try to memorize it. See, when we're faced with troubles and we're faced with personal conflicts and they come up on us fast, we are in react mode. That's just how it works in life. We have to react. And when we come up on these situations and we have to sort of react to the situation, it is really natural. It's normal for you and I to feel anxiety about, I hadn't prepared for this. I didn't know this was coming. And so we react and we feel anxious. And normally for most of us, this is is what we do. We start to feel anxiety, and then normally what we do is we rehearse those anxieties over and over and over, and the loop keeps getting bigger and more magnified, and over and over and over, and where the fear started here, the fear becomes this big. That's normal. That's what all of us do if you don't do anything but just act normal. But Paul says believers can develop a new Brand new internal reaction to the emotional landscape of anxiety. Here it comes. I'm in react mode. But Paul says, here's a whole new opportunity being God's people. You can present it to God. Have you ever tried that? Present it to God. Get out of your feedback loop. Take it out. Lift the the needle off the feedback loop and go here. Present it to God. And when the anxiety appears again, and usually in my life, I presented it one time and I want to think, I gave it to him. Why am I feeling anxious again? Because the anxiety is that big. And so I have to do it 20 seconds later. I present it to God. And then another 30 seconds later, present it to God, present it to God, present it to God. And the discipline of presenting anxiety to God leads to experiencing the crazy peace of God. That starts to flood in and displace the worry. That's how it works. So this reaction to anxiety can turn, turn into a whole new reaction of worship. To, to become people who develop through our discipleship, our walking with Jesus from the normal, I just get anxious, it's just what I do, to become dis- discipled and to become people who I now worship. I go, I take the worry into worship. And get, by the way, worship is the antidote to worry. Second thing Paul talks about is not just emotional health. He talks about mental health. Here's what he writes in verse 8. Another one I would highly recommend to underline. If you're looking in social media these days and you want to go, what should I really be thinking about? Underline this. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true. Whatever is true. Noble. Whatever is right. Whatever is pure. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, when we're 
When we're anxious, we're in react mode. Paul's now talking about this is not react mode. This is proactive mode. You're not anxious, but what are you filling your mind with when you're not anxious? When we're not anxious, we have to be people who are proactively cultivating a healthy mind. Knowing that, and maybe this is news to you, I hope it's not, your thoughts about God, whatever the narrative is you have about God, your thoughts about yourself, whatever your narrative is about yourself, your thoughts about people, your thoughts about the world, they very much shape how you live your life. Your thoughts are very powerful. And it is so easy and it's really normal to proactively, when you are at rest, cultivate stinking thinking. We're all really good at it. To proactively cultivate stinking thinking about God, a lot of times suspicions about him. Proactively cultivate stinking thinking about people, about ourselves, and about the world. And every time when you do that, it will, every time it will rob you of peace and it will poison how you live. It takes grace empowered intentionality to fill our minds with gospel realities. That's what Paul was just talking about. You want to know what gospel reality is? It's whatever's true, noble, pure, lovely, admirable. To fill our minds with these realities that begin to shape our reactions when we're under stress and they lead to peace inside of us and outside of us. See, Paul is reminding the people of Philippi intentionality matters. It matters. Yes, God alone has the power to transform us and has the power to transform the world. But God is a gentleman and God never overwhelms human will or intentionality. He's not going to overwhelm your will. That means that the fullness of God's best blessing for us comes through our intentionality. To practice interpersonal, like relational, and intrapersonal mental and emotional health that Jesus is the one that makes fully possible to us. And the point I'm trying to make here is this, is that sustained intention is necessary for sustained health. Can I get an amen from all the LMFTs out in our crowd here? All our therapists who are part of our church? Sustained intention is necessary for sustained health. Jesus didn't die and conquer death just to give us a laminated key card for getting into heaven. Now, in a sense, yes, he did do that. I'm not trying to deny that we get to go to heaven and spend eternity with him when we say yes to his offer of salvation. But... He also wanted to turn you and I into new creations starting now. The invasion of heaven starts the moment we say yes to Jesus. The moment we say yes to the offer of life, Jesus, he, he invades us literally with part of the Trinity. He puts the Holy Spirit inside of a believer to invade our souls and to transform every part of us for the rest of our lives so that we become beings over the rest of our lives who are fit to enjoy him and rule with him in the beauty of his kingdom forever. That, that's the whole thing. So the question is, how does that transformation of every part of us and how we live our actual life, how does that actually take place? Is it by 
doing what we kind of just know and church culture kind of hints at, which is like work harder. Is it, is it, is that what we do? We just, we just work harder and it's kind of a meritocracy in heaven. And I, and I work harder and I say no to the things that Jesus tells me to say no to. And I say yes to the thing that Jesus, WWJD, and I wear bracelets like that. Is that what we do? And I will tell you right now, if you read the New Testament carefully, all of the apostles will tell you an emphatic, no, that is not how it works. Because we don't have the power to fully transform us. We can only be transformed by God working in us and on us by his grace. Okay, Pastor Andy. So here would be the next obvious question. So then do we do nothing at all? We just, we we don't, so, I mean, we can't work to get there. So we don't do anything. We just let God do what he chooses to do while I'm watching football or eating pizza. He just kind of, sometimes he shows up and changes me. Sometimes he does that. Is that what we do? And I will say that I think in evangelical culture, there's a strong thread of that. Of people thinking, well, you know, grace just means I just kind of wisp along like a feather on the wind and God just sort of blows me here and there because I can't earn anything and I can't change anything within me. No, that's not it either. Let me share with you some wisdom from Dallas Willard who probably in the last 30 or 40 years is very respected, both I would say on in Western Christianity as well as Catholicism for his thoughts on spiritual formation. Here's what he once wisely observed. I'm going to put it up on the screen. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. You have never seen people more active than those who've been set on fire by the grace of God. Here's what Dallas is getting at. Yes, God's grace, it is a gift that human beings, we cannot earn through our efforts, our salvation. We can't earn it. But the full experience for you in your life and in your walk of God's grace and the full experience in your lifetime of God really transforming you into the image of Jesus Christ, it very much includes our participation where the Spirit meets us in our intentionality and then adds everything that we lack, and it's a lot that we lack, to produce the new us, the transformation of us. That's what he's getting at there. So standing firm in our health requires intentionality in us. It involves intentionality interpersonally. Recognizing in ourselves, it's so easy, like it was for me standing in that Starbucks line, it is so easy and it's such a natural thing to do to unfriend and cancel people and end up, and the, the ranks are growing over these last two years to become a person who's a done with church. You're just done. That's just, you do nothing. That's the trajectory. To recognize that's inside of every one of us. But to actually see that actual health and wholeness means intentionally walking with the Holy Spirit back towards opposing thoughts and opinions in your marriage, in your extended family, in your neighbors, in your church, 
or with friends from other churches, to go with the Holy Spirit back towards opposing opinions and back towards conflict, to believe Jesus has more than what you lack, but in your intentionality, he'll meet you there to experience reconciliation and to believe that even through conflict, and here's what I've had to learn the hard way in my life, conflict often is the portal to deeper intimacy and a better friendship than I had before the conflict. Interpersonality, we have to know this intentionality matters, but it also matters intrapersonally within us. To recognize in ourselves that the easiest thing for us to do is to just sort of sleepwalk mentally and emotionally. And by that, I mean, you're just like, you're never thinking about your thoughts. You're never examining your emotions. You just, you feel what you feel. You think what you think. You're just sleepwalking. To just sleepwalk mentally and emotionally. And because you're just sleepwalking, you become super easily hijacked by unexamined thoughts and feelings. And like your life is about being hijacked all the time by your thoughts and feelings. To recognize that's in me, but that actual health means intentionally walking with the Holy Spirit through my scattered thoughts and through my scattered feelings. It's like, well, Holy Spirit, why am I thinking this in the Starbucks line? And why why am I feeling this way? And what's coming up inside of me? And to walk through them so that I end up walking through with the Holy Spirit to actually think thoughts about my thoughts and to feel things about my feelings, I end up in the same place with the Holy Spirit about what actually is capital R reality and what actually is capital T truth. Here's what this all means. There's a few things that really stand out to me on this 29th anniversary to this dear human being, Alita. And my misadventure in the Starbucks line on our anniversary trip. A couple things stand out to me. First thing that stand out to me is that marriage is both an amazing gift of grace from God. That two people, and particularly these two people, would fall in love with each other and choose each other 29 years ago and keep waking up day after day after day and say, I still choose you, I still choose you, I still choose you. That, that is an amazing gift of grace. And it requires work. And intentionality from two people to continue with God's empowering to wake up the next day and choose them. And to stay in that relationship and to fight for it and to believe the hard work. And there have been times of painful, hard work will pay off for a better relationship tomorrow and the next tomorrow and the next tomorrow and the next tomorrow. It is both a gift of grace and it takes work. The second thing that stands out to me, it comes from my misadventure in Starbucks. Inside of myself, I experienced the grace of God. Because as I was having those thoughts, I was also shaming myself. Like, Lewis, what is wrong with you? Like, what are you, why are you thinking such mean and horrible, heartful thoughts about other people? And there was this act of grace of being able to preach the gospel to myself, to remind myself that there's no condemnation when I'm in Christ Jesus. God's chuckling at my own ridiculousness. But also to realize the necessary work of actually thinking about my thoughts and exploring my emotions and feeling those emotions and trying to describe them to myself to lay all of it before Jesus as I stood in that coffee line and to realize then with Jesus in that line how sad it was what I was feeling. 
and how isolating my thoughts and feelings really were, especially if I left them go on, uh, unchecked and went rampant. So what I'm trying to say is that God's grace has empowered all of the good in my life. And my ability to experience the fullness of that grace has also involved some effort, intentionality, grace work that I bring. It's not a lot. It's like five loaves and two fish, but I'm bringing my five loaves and two fish of intentionality. Sustained intention is necessary for sustained health. And I know I am speaking to a crowd. We've all suffered through the divisions over these last years. And this is a message from the Holy Spirit right for you being injected into your life right here, right now for a reason. And so the, the, the call is do the grace work that's required for health. Do the grace work. What is Jesus calling you to do in the grace work interpersonally? You can't keep canceling people forever. It's not sustainable. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm quoting him, Matthew 5. If you are offering your gift at the altar, he's talking about going to worship, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, and then come offer your gift. Unquote. Is there someone you need to approach for reconciliation? No emails, no texts, maybe phone call in person. Is there someone you need to approach for reconciliation? Do you need to forgive? And maybe even say, I know I need to. I, it's so overwhelming. I need help to even start and to reach out and say, can, can you help me start this process of trying to forgive? Do you need to help a Euodia and a Syntyche in your life? There's a Euodia and a Syntyche in your life. You, you're not in the quarrel, but you see what's happening to them. Well, you need to help them sit down in safety with you and try to reconcile. I like what one of the scholars I've been reading on the Philippians commentary, a, a woman named Lynn Kohek, a New Testament scholar. Here's what she says of this. I'm quoting her. She says, a believer's growth is irreducibly linked to Christian care of one another, unquote. Is there a Euodia and a Syntyche in your life? Where is Jesus calling you to work intrapersonally? Because you can't sleepwalk through your, your, your thoughts and your emotions forever. It doesn't work. Maybe it's time to learn to process your strong, scattered emotions in a healthy way with God. So that you can start to learn that his peace can transcend all understanding. And it can start to take charge inside. And just as a warning, it's a work of discipline. It's not like, but Pastor Andy, I offered that fear to him one time last week. And I'm still fearful. Dummy, you have to keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep giving it to him until suddenly you go, oh, I'm starting to feel peace. Maybe it's time to seize your thought life with Jesus. And learn how to continually think through gospel realities and think about that which is excellent and praiseworthy. Maybe it's time to ask for help from a friend, from your pastor, maybe this pastor, or from a counselor 
to help you learn how to live with mental and emotional health. And by the way, I'm going to plug this again. Since September, the elders of this church are committed to help you. If you're a member of this church, we're going to help you get plugged into a counselor. We're going to help cover the first $400 of costs for you to go get help. There is literally no excuse. If you've never, and by the way, I'll just say this to some of you members. If you're like, I don't know, I've never really done that before. Can I just say to you, just sign up. And this offer is good while supplies last until the month of May. And so I'm just telling you, it's still there. And if the Holy Spirit is prompting you, please take advantage of it. I've talked long enough. Jonathan, why don't you come on up? Look, as Jonathan's kind of getting set up, I, 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 don't, I don't know when the dust of this pandemic's really going to settle. I don't know. We've been humble, humbled by it and probably appropriately humbled by, by all of this. Uh, and I don't know what the world is going to look like when the dust settles. But I do know this. The world is going to need interpersonally and intrapersonally healthy believers in Jesus Christ filled with the spirit of Christ to meet the world in its needs and in its pain and the fallout of all of this. The world's going to need healthy people. I, I do believe this and I believe a window of great opportunity for the kingdom of God is going to be opening at some point in the future. And that window of opportunity is not the mega church, you know, where you can buy a Frappuccino on your church campus kind of success metrics that we've been living under for the last 50 years. I, that's, Forget it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something subversively beautiful that the Holy Spirit's going to start to do. My question as we finish is, am I, to myself, am I going to be lost in my own unhealth along with the rest of the world? Or am I going to be ready? My question to you as individuals, are you going to be lost in your unhealth? Or are you going to be ready for what the world needs? My question to us at Faith Community Church, are we going to be lost in our collective unhealth along with the rest of the world? Or are we going to be ready? I, I, I know this about our church. I, I think we want to be ready. And I know Jesus wants to meet us in our intentionality to do something really healthy and good in Santa Cruz. I preach this because I want you to experience the rich interpersonal and intrapersonal health that Jesus came to give you. I want that for you. So remember this, your sustained intention is necessary for that kind of sustained and increasing health. So do the work, do your work, and Jesus will meet you to make up the difference. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you that you do meet us to make up all the difference, but you invite us. We are participants in this journey of being transformed into beautiful beings, beautiful new creations. Make us that so that we can also turn around and be a blessing to a world where people are hurting. And I ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.